Man, it is so good to be with you. Take your Bibles out, turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, that's all right. Rob's going to do his best back there to help us follow along on the screen to be able to read the text with us. Before we get started, I do want to make an announcement. We've got two new members in the room. God just continues to grow His church, and we're thankful for that. We're excited for that. Uh, Greg and Anna Hannaford back there. Can you guys stand if you're able? We just want to see you. I'm so grateful. Yeah, awesome. Welcome to the family. Glad that you're uh, glad that you are here, and uh, that you feel called to belong to Summit Church in this season. Uh, it has been quite the week. I mean, since last Sunday, uh, I've been to Guatemala and back. Dan Garrish and I went down on an exploratory trip. Uh, saw an active volcano, which made me wonder if I should be there or not. Um, but it was pretty cool. It kept smoking every once in a while. It's just pretty neat. Um, but the ministry down there, Pastor Luis, you may remember him, was with us in October and told us about his ministry, Happy Tummies, and their church planting uh, project. So Dan Garrish and I went down um, to see uh, the churches and to see about uh, sending a trip, uh, sending a, a team down um, and partnering with them. So uh, glad to be home. The trip was good. Um, if you can just imagine, is Dan in the room? Uh, yeah. So if you can just imagine following Dan around in Maine, <laughs> do that in another country. And it, uh, I'm tired. But um, no, it was a good, it was a good week. It was a good week. It was a full week. Uh, our hearts are full. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the news about um, Asbury, Kentucky, or at the, the revival in Asbury. Um, it has spread. I saw, I saw something this morning now where there are 19 revivals that have broken out across the world. One in Israel, um, one in Waterville, Maine, um, which is unbelievable. And so... And, and you know, um, I, I wish he was here this morning, but he's preaching at another church in town. Um, but I remember one of the first times meeting my friend Russ, Will Led, his family's over here. And, and uh, he, said, um, he said to me, um, when revival comes through New England again, it's going to come through college students. Well, it just missed us by a couple states um, in Kentucky. But man, just... And, and revival has hit Maine, and it, and it started through college students in Kentucky, and so uh, just um, just powerful, 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 powerful. So praising God for that, and um, wish I could say a lot more about that, and maybe I will um, in the coming weeks. But uh, for this morning, I want to dive into our text. Is that all right? Let's talk about the Bible. All right, Nehemiah chapter five. A guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. Uh, who, who uh, writes, uh, has written a few books. He said, uh, he said in one of his books, he said, my brother, the late Judge Ziegler, loved to tell the story of the fellow who went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. You ever gone next door to borrow something? The neighbor explained that he could not let him use the mower because all the flights had been canceled from New York to Las Vegas. That's an interesting response, right? And the borrower asked him what canceled flights from New York to Los Angeles had to do with borrowing his lawnmower, and the guy said, it doesn't have anything to do with it, but if I don't want to let you use my lawnmower, one excuse is as good as another. <laughs> I 
And so this morning we're talking about selflessness. <laughs> talking about selflessness from Nehemiah chapter 5. And perhaps, you know, it's easy to chuckle at that. It's easy to laugh at that because, you know, all of us think uh, at, at one time or another, we, we may perceive, you know, nobody, nobody stands up and says, I'm the most selfish in the room. Right? We smile because, you know, we're not selfish. Right? <laughs> we're not selfish. Uh, we don't have a problem with that. But this morning, I want to see what we can learn from Nehemiah chapter 5 about selflessness. Is that all right? All right. I once heard humility defined as this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Uh, yeah, I like that too. Um, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Nehemiah chapter 5. Let's read the first 11 verses. Now there arose a great outcry of the people, of their wives, against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And so just, just to remember what happened last week, we talked about how Sam Ballot rose uh, some opposition, right? And then asked some questions and, 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 and was trying to stir some doubt, trying to stir some, 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 some frustration and some opposition to the work that was happening. But we talked about how Nehemiah overcame that. Right? We talked about how Nehemiah overcame that. We talked about how we can overcome opposition and criticism and negativity and negative talk and all that in our lives. And so here we see kind of the reality of, of what was going on there for Nehemiah and the people. All right? There was great poverty before Nehemiah showed up, no doubt. But now we see really in chapter 5 its effect on the people. And so we see here in the first verse, there's an outcry among the people. Verse 3, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money from the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Desperate time. Okay? Desperate time. They were, they were selling their children, essentially. Right? Selling their children to be slaves. Selling their children. Selling their children. Selling their kids to be slaves. To try to make ends meet. Okay? To try to make ends meet. Point being, times are desperate financially. Look at verse 6. I was very angry. Who was the I? Nehemiah. Okay, good, good, good. Just making sure you're following, okay? Nehemiah was very angry when he heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. Verse 9. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not, walk, ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? 
Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Okay, now, let's talk about this for a few minutes. Is that all right? The first thing we see in this text, in chapter 5, three things, but the first thing we see is a rightful resentment. Okay? A rightful resentment. It it says very clearly in verse 6, I was very angry when I heard what was happening. I I mean, rightfully so. Right? I was talking with the worship team this morning as we were uh, uh, talking and, and running through and making sure that the worship team remembered the songs that they had rehearsed two or three times this week and the, for this morning and, 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 and all of all the things. And we, and we pray over the service. And I was talking about how Paul tells Timothy in the book of Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your hearers. Okay? Now, that had, been, that had not been written yet when Nehemiah was here leading these people, but it was no doubt true that as a leader of the people, that was his mandate from God, to keep a close watch on himself and on his hearers. And when injustice happened, he was to speak up and fight for his people. And here an injustice was happening. They had borrowed from the king, and the the king's people was, was, was ripping them off, essentially, with interest. Ribbing them off with interest. And it wasn't, it wasn't from the king, but how many of you know that there's some corrupt people that are under leadership? I'm not saying, I'm just saying. It happens everywhere. It happens at, at Burger King. It happens, at, it happens everywhere, okay? That, that, that you have a leader, and not every person under that leader is without corruption all of the time. Fair? Okay. That was not a political statement, people. Okay? But just a leadership statement. Right? Just a leadership statement. Okay? And so Nehemiah, Nehemiah in verse 6, was, we see again, he was angry when he heard. And what did he do? He didn't just sit back. He took action. Right? He took action. So let's dig into this a little bit deeper to understand what's going on. We really have to pay attention to the first verse. Let's look at it again. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Okay? How many of you know when desperation happens, people panic, people flip? Right? When desperation happens, people flip. Okay? People flip. Um, it, 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 it's, it, it just happens. And so some of the people were raising a great outcry against their own people. They raised, they raised this against their own brothers, their own extended family. And before Nehemiah had even arrived in Jerusalem, had even come on the scene that we read about at the end of chapter 1 and end of chapter 2, before he had even showed up, the people were in an economic recession. It was going on. And here to this day, after the wall had been built, we're looking at about 12 years' time that's passed, okay? It was still going on, and people were having a very difficult time making ends meet. They were resorting to the last resort to stay afloat, selling their kids for slavery. They had to borrow money, and the interest was eating up the little money that they had, so they were selling some of their family members into slavery. It was an awful situation. Awful situation. 
we noticed some of the things that they were crying out and said, our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during this famine. We've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards, although we are the same flesh and blood as our own countrymen. And though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. And then we see Nehemiah, when I heard the outcry of these charges, I was very angry. Now, some of us, some of us may take issue with that, right? Because we've heard over time the lie that you can't be a Christian and be angry. Notice what I said there. We've heard the lie that we can't be Christian and be angry. I want to show you a couple verses. John 2, 14 and 15. This won't be on your screen, but it says this. In the temple, let's start with Jesus. In the temple, he, being Jesus, found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Can you imagine the smell in the temple? This is, I mean, I try to put myself in the text, right? Can you imagine this scene with me in verse 15? And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, we read it. I, I said it to you. Who was the he? Can you imagine? You're Jesus. The picture that you have of Jesus in your mind, sitting in a corner, braiding a whip. That's what it says. He saw the situation. Verse 14, verse 15, it says there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. Now that's a Jesus that could make a TV show about. Not only that, but he takes the bags of coins, flips them over. He takes the table, flips it. Now, let me tell you something. Don't go to lunch today and see injustice, all right, in the house and start flipping tables. Okay, There's, there, there, there might be, unless, unless the Lord tells you to do it, make very sure it's the Lord, right? I mean, I, I don't, if you go over to Blue Pig and you start flipping the tables, Paul's going to probably come out and have some things to say to you. And if you say, well, Jesus did it, he's not going to care very much. But we see a righteous anger from Jesus. Why? Because people who were supposed to know better were being dumb. Right? People who were supposed to know better. You know what's frustrating me these days? You know what's frustrating me these days? Is, is, is people going on social media, which, which I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. If we didn't have social media with the church, I would just get off of social media altogether. Um, because it, it, people's worst self comes out behind their keyboards and behind their Facebook profiles and their Instagram handles and all the, all, the, all the other language that the kids know that I'm still trying to struggle to learn. Okay. What's frustrating me the most is, is church folk, Christians, people who say they believe in Jesus, getting so upset and frustrated when people who don't know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus. Instead of getting frustrated with them, why don't we try to be salt and light and go give them a hug? I'm like, hey, let me, let me buy you a cup of coffee. Why are you so mad, bro? 
What's up? What's up? What's up? See, there's this thing called salvation when we meet Jesus, where a change happens inside of us. And if that change hasn't happened inside of us when we've met Jesus, we can't expect somebody to act like they're changed when they're not changed. That's like expecting your, that's like expecting your eight-month-old to be able to cut a steak and eat it. I've got a 14-year-old that's still wants her daddy to cut her steak for her. You get what I'm saying? All right. Nehemiah was angry. He was angry. We see Jesus was angry. Let me, let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the church at Ephesus in verses 26 and 27, in your anger, do not sin. And so Paul tells the church, hey, you're going to be angry. There's some things you're going to get angry about. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold in your anger. Okay? That's where we get the famous, right? You, 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 hear, you hear it at weddings and all of that stuff when, they're, when people are giving advice to the new bride and groom. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed angry, right? Deal with it beforehand. We, it's, it's right from Ephesians where Paul, tells, where Paul tells the church of Ephesus, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't sin in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold when you're angry because if you're not careful, Paul knew this, if you're not careful, that anger can turn into bitterness. And if you let bitterness take root in your heart, it's a bad day. It's a bad day. Not just for the people around you, but it's toxic to you. It's toxic to you. It is possible to be angry and not sin. On 495 in Massachusetts, it's possible to be angry and not sin. It is possible to be rightfully angry, like Nehemiah here is here in, in chapter 5. It is rightful to be angry at the oppression of the weak. It is rightful to be angry when God's people are willfully rebelling. But there's the importance of encouragement for those that are causing the anger. Because here's what, here's what we got to do. Some of you are getting really excited because you're like, okay, now we're getting to it, right? Let me tell you something. There is a time and a place for rebuke in your anger. You know the hardest, the hardest part with anger for, for me is that so many times when I'm angry, I just have to keep my mouth shut. knowing that there's a time and place for that. And it might not even be anger, but times when I'm disappointed and let down, times when I'm frustrated, and don't feel a release from God to say something about it because hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. There's a time and a place for rebuke. Some of y'all need to hear this. I need to hear this. The time and place for rebuke is when it is the Spirit of God leading you to do it. 
the time and place for correction is when you've spent time praying about it ahead of time. God, is this really an issue or are they just rubbing me the wrong way? God, is this, is this really a thing or is it just hurting my feelings? God, God, is this really a thing? The time and the place is when you've gotten the log out of your own eye. Like Jesus says, before you've attempted to take the speck out of your neighbor's. The time and the place is when you've cried tears of sorrow over your own mishaps. The time and the place is when you've, when, when you've been broken over the person that you're being bothered by. The time and the place is when God has led you to the situation, when He's let you see the situation from His perspective, and you understand how His heart has broken over the situation. The time and place has to be so ordained by God. Because let me tell you something. They are probably not going to hear it the way that you intended. I have lost the closest friends in my life when God has led me to speak something over them for correction and they got offended. People who, people who promised that they were going to stand by my side forever. People who, people who left a state to come up here to help to help with a, with a church. People who, who sold it and, and said, We're, we always got your back. We're going to hold your arms up forever. We got you, we got you, we got you. And the moment I said, hey, we need to spend some time on this. Because God is revealing that there's something up here. Blocked my phone number. And so this is not for the faint of heart, right? This is not for the faint of heart. And I, I, listen, I don't say that. I, I, don't, I don't say that up here saying, oh, look at me. I rebuked somebody and they got out of my life. I say that because there have been nights that Kristen and I have wept over this. I say that because when we get angry and go to correct somebody, we should not take it lightly because it's not light. It's not cute. It's not, something, it's not something that we should do flippantly and say, hey, the, the, way, you, the way you do that, it just, really, it just really bugs me. Can you cut it out? Can you straighten up? We have to be uber careful Super careful when it comes to each other and the words like rebuke and sin. Now, Nehemiah, the times were so desperate for him. Now, let's, let's back up for a second, okay? I know, I know we've got people in the room that you're going to go to lunch today and, and, and you've, got, you've got plenty of money to buy lunch, right? You could even take me to lunch. That'd be great, right? Um, there are some of you in here that are trying to figure out how to get groceries this week. 
right? But I need to say this. I need you to hear me clearly, okay? We don't know oppression like Nehemiah chapter 5. Okay? We don't know famine. We don't know, desperate, we don't know desperation like Nehemiah chapter 5. No one in here is looking at selling their kids to slavery willingly other than the fact that they might drive us absolutely up a wall, okay, but not out of need and desperation to try to get our next meal, okay? That's not where we are. Agreed? Agreed. Okay. I had to lay that foundation for what I want to say next. Nehemiah, and what we see in chapter, in verses 6 through 11 here, where he rises up. That's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He rises up as the leader of these people. And, and he rises up as the protector of their hearts, as their shepherd. He rises up, and we're going to see in just, a, in just a couple minutes, he, he lets the cat out of the bag in chapter 5 that, uh, about something that he, hasn't, that he hasn't let the cat out of the bag about yet. He's governor of the city, and has been since he showed up 12 years prior. And so all this time he's been building the wall, and God's been giving him this favor. He's governor. So God has given him a platform Okay, God has given him a platform for him to rise up on behalf of his people and say, cut it out. Anybody ever watch? Thank you, Full House. Cut it out. Seeing if some of y'all caught that. But he rises up. But that didn't happen overnight. We're talking about 12 years of the favor of God placing him in a platform where he could rise up against the injustice that was happening to his people on behalf of his people. It took him 12 years to get the credit, the street credit, the trust to be able to go in angry and say, hey, we've got to stop this. You're taking advantage of my people and it's not okay. So, it's okay to be angry. Some of you, some of you feel very set free by that this morning. It's okay to be angry. Most of, most of the fights of the young families in the house this morning happened on Sunday morning. You think that's by accident? No, the enemy don't want you here. And if you have to be here, if he can put you in a bad mood before you get here, all the better. Okay, all the better. And all right, if I preach again this week, I preached a little bit last week. Here it come, okay? All right, if he can get you frustrated before you get here so you're in a bad mood and you're just waiting for me and you're ticking down the seconds, when is this guy going to stop talking so I can just go to Blue Pig? Because he already put that in my head. I want to flip a table. It's okay to be angry. Where do we take the anger first? It's got to be to God. It's got to be to God. And the prayer has to be, has to be, God, this is not right. How do you want me to proceed? God, this is not okay. How should I respond? God, this is not good. This is not pleasing to you. This is not right. What do I do? What do I do? Because when we don't lead with prayer, you hear me? When we don't lead with prayer, we could create a bigger mess. We could ruin more relationships. 
we could cost more for the kingdom than if we pause first and say, God, what would you have me do? Now, I know some of, some, some of, the, most, some of the most pure-hearted, best-intended folks in the church today are saying, I've got to do this. I've got to speak up. I've got to do this. And all you're doing is stirring anger and mistrust in the people that don't know Jesus. Because you're acting before you're praying. And Paul speaks to that. He says we've got to grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. We've got to grow up into every way. And, and maturity, right, one of the signs of maturity is when something happens, how you respond to it. How you respond to it. And many times the best response is to take a minute. The best response is to take a minute. Amen? All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Secondly, we see verses 12, through 12 and 13, we see the response, a rightful repentance. Let's look at the verses and then we'll talk about it. Sound good? Okay. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. That was easy. Right? Nothing from them. We will do as you say. Is that not the desired response whenever you confront anybody? Wow. We, you know what? You are right. We will require nothing from them. We, Nehemiah, we'll do exactly as you say. We're sorry. And I, Nehemiah, called the priests and made them swear to do as they promised. Right? He's like, i got to capitalize on this. I can't, let them I can't let them back out. They just said that they were going to do as I promised. He takes it a step further. Verse 13. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. Wow. What a prayer. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said amen and praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. You know how revival happens? When true repentance happens. That's what happened in Asbury. A guy preached a message on loving your neighbor because it was Valentine's Day. And said, what's keeping you from living out the love of Christ? And the worship service hasn't ended. And it's been like days and days and days. Because people are coming from all... There is nothing... Hear, 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 hear me. I'm not trying to be insensitive. There's nothing more special about Asbury College than there is Gorham Middle School. But a group of college students decided they were sick of living the way they were living and decided to get right with Jesus. And so now people have flown there from Texas and North Carolina and other countries and, and all, all to just be a part of it because how many of you know when God's doing something, you just want to be in the room. You just want to be a part of it. It's exciting. It's thrilling. People are sick of manufactured emotional responses in Christianity. People are sick of fluff. 
People are sick of their ears being tickled. That's one of, the, that's one of my favorite things about this next generation is they just want the truth and they want it for days. They don't need fancy acrostics or alliteration. It's cool when it happens, but they just want the truth of who Jesus is. And that's why I love Summit Church, because I think that's what you, you, what you want too, and why you'll bear listening to this southern boy for so long. Nehemiah spoke. He acted. And they responded. Rightful repentance. They said, we'll give it back. And we won't demand any more interest from them. We'll do as you say. They took an oath. They took an oath. Now, I probably don't have to say that repentance like that requires selflessness. I probably don't have to say that, right? Because it takes a lot of selflessness to admit when you're wrong. It hurts, doesn't it? It takes a lot of selflessness to admit when you're wrong. And guess what? There are times you're wrong. You're not perfect. There are times I'm wrong. I'm not perfect. It takes a lot of selflessness to promise and take an oath to stop doing wrong. It takes a lot of selflessness. It takes a lot of selflessness to genuinely and honestly repent. Because let's talk about repentance for just a second, right? Repentance is, is, is taking an action, taking an idol, taking something that's standing in between you and God, laying it at the feet of Jesus and saying, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore because that is keeping me between that is keeping me from God and his goodness. And so I don't want to do that anymore. Turning, turning your back on it symbolically and literally, turning and walking away from it never to touch it again. That's repentance. Mishandling money, bullying, abuse, any addiction, right? Any addiction, that, 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 any vice that you have, any, anything that stands in between, anything that you have hold of that keeps you from God, laying it at the feet of Jesus, turning and walking away from it. That's repentance. It takes a lot of selflessness. You know why? Because for many years probably, for some period of time, knowingly, that gave you comfort. Alcohol was the God. Your computer screen was the God. Food was the God. That toxic relationship was the God. That was the thing you worshipped more than God himself who gave his life to save you and me. And so it takes a lot of selflessness to say, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to leave it. 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 Selflessness requires not getting defensive. When someone rebukes us or points out a mistake, our, our nature is to get defensive and lash back, isn't it? That's what's wrong with so many marriages today. We're too sensitive instead of hearing the voice of God from our spouse. That's what's wrong with so many other relationships today. Most people can't stand the thought that they're not a good person. That's why people don't see their need for Jesus today, because we're all just great people. We're all, you know, Ed Sheeran said it, we're beautiful people. That's not in the notes. 
Most people can't stand the thought that they've done something wrong. Most people believe constantly, you know this person, it's never their fault, it's always somebody else's fault. Selflessness requires that we don't get defensive about it. It may sting a little, but a selfless person won't respond right away in self-defensive anger. A selfless person will go home and pray about it. Say, you know what? Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm going to go pray about that. Thank that's, that's the response. On my best days, <laughs> that's the response. Thank you for pointing that out about the sermon. I'm going to go home and pray about that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Believing positive intent from other people. A selfless person will not go home and pick out all the faults of, of the other person and convince themselves that that person is so bad that there's no way God could be using them to speak to, the, to speak to you. A selfless person who is led by the Holy Spirit of God will be willing to admit their sin and rightfully respond. And then number three. Right? So we see this, this rightful anger. We see this rightful repentance. And then we see rightful relief. Look at verses 14 through 19. Moreover, Nehemiah continues, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land, here's, here's where he's pointed out, in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year, that's 12 years, 32 minus 20, that's, that's 12, right? Some of y'all are thinking way too long about that, okay? Okay, in 12 years, so he's governor, right? 20th, 30th, 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So all Nehemiah is doing here is he's not puffing himself up, he's just testifying, right? He's just testifying. We've got to get away from anybody and from, and from any time that, that, that someone testifies of the goodness of God in their life. It's not arrogance, it's not puffing themselves up, it's, it's encouraging. I don't feel like we hear that enough, right? Somebody just tell me something good. That, you know what? Time out. Somebody tell me something good God's doing in your life. Just testify. Healing, my mother. Healing your mother. The knee. The knee. The knee. How are we walking? Good? Not too much. Heel to toe. Don't forget. Heel to toe. Heel to toe. That'll help you. you won't, your, your knee won't turn out like mine. Somebody else. Growing relationships and, Growing relationships and friendships. Somebody else. What? What? Right now? <laughs> Zan's like, I'm not elbowing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. That's good, bro. Thanks for the candidness. Praise God, Sherilyn. Somebody else. Yeah. Your marriage. It's just goodness of God. Your marriage, yeah? Protecting my niece's baby. Protecting my baby. Awesome. Keep going. Yeah? Uh, friends and family are encouraging you. Friends and family encouraging you. Awesome. Somebody else? It's the goodness of God. Yeah? It's the goodness of God. Yeah. Celebrating another day. It's the goodness of God. Yeah? Somebody else? It's a great perspective. Yeah? Middle school seekers in uh, wildlife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all had quite the crowd there uh, Friday night. It's awesome. Yeah. 
67 years. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. One or two more. It's the goodness of God. Mercy. One more. One more. Hmm? Being able to wake up. It's the goodness of God. Right? It's the goodness of God. How many of you feel like somebody shared an arrogant thought there? Nobody. 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 Right? And it's contagious, isn't it? Isn't it contagious? I mean, don't you just, don't you just love when people just, man, I am so thankful that I get to, y'all might think I sound like a broken record, but every Sunday morning, I'm so thankful that I get to be at Summit Church. I, I, the, the weeks are not complete. This is my favorite part of the week. Not because I'm codependent on you, because I know y'all. Most of you. But because I just can't believe that we, as a group of people that we are, with our warts and all, get to come into a place for free. That's nice. That's lovely. That the drama department that is working on Beauty and the Beast to be done in like three weeks is so careful with their set to make sure that we have room for our stuff to be able to, the, 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 the favor of God that we get to come into this room, that we get to sing about His goodness and clap on occasion. <laughs> Just when Dylan gives us permission. That we get to raise our hands and just say, yes, God. That we get to open our Bibles with no threat. That I get to preach about the goodness of God for you and for me. That He sent His Son to die for you and for me. That we could have life and have it to the fullest. Now, I don't know about you, but the fact that we get to do that brings me so much joy. And there are so many times I wish it brought you more than, joy than it does. And so, Nehemiah, moreover, from the time that I was appointed governor, skip down, verse 15, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people, took from them for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. He, he knew. He knew that if he was going to lead the people, he had to lead the people in such a way that it pleased God, not served himself. Wow. I also persevered in the work on this wall. And we acquired no land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials. That's a lot of stake. Besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this... I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. 
Nehemiah knew that if he was going to shepherd his people, he had to smell like a sheep. And so even though he had access to all these things, remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I've done for this people. Why? Because Nehemiah knew that he was going to be held accountable for how he led the people. We see a little more of the character of Nehemiah and his rightful relief. It's been 12 years since he came to Jerusalem. He hasn't mentioned being governor, and now he mentions being governor. He re- not, not only rebuilding the wall, but being governor of the city for 12 years. And now Nehemiah lets us in on how he acted as governor. He lets us see his character. And the point I want to point out to you, because I want, I want to close it down, is this. Selflessness does not demand what it rightfully deserves. It rightfully serves without demanding compensation. Let me hear that. Let me, let, me, let me read that to you one more time. Selflessness does not demand what it rightfully deserves, but it serves without demanding return. We are such transactional people, aren't we? Hey, I'll do this for you, but you owe me one. And I'll, I'll call in for that one. I'll call, I, you know, and, and, even, and even we feel the deficit, right? Somebody plowed my driveway while I was away. I, I feel that I owe them one. Even though they said not to worry about it, I still feel like there's a deficit in our friendship. Let me tell you something. In the kingdom, there's no deficit. In selflessness, in the selflessness of Jesus, there's no owing. There's, there's, there's not, there's not that. Be free. Be free and, and, and rest in the goodness of God. Because when the Spirit of God is in your life and you're serving people, you don't worry about that. Out of reverence for God, we don't act like that. When we serve, we serve, we go home. We don't get bent out of shape when nobody notices that you were here for setup. We don't get bent out of shape when someone doesn't say thank you for taking care of my kids so that I could go in and listen to the to the to to the sermon, right? We just say, God, they need you because they need to grow up and be more mature and say thank you. Say thank you today. Like Nehemiah, we don't look to the people for reward. We look to God and say, God, I served you today. I pray you were pleased. I pray you were pleased with my attitude. I pray you are pleased with my work. I pray you are pleased. Luke chapter 9, I want to close with this. Verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it.
Listen, the secret to getting what you need, the secret to revival in your heart, the secret, I hate using the word secret because I don't think it is a secret. The secret to getting what you need is not a secret. It's not learning how to manipulate people. It's not demanding your rights. It's not defending and protecting yourself. It's not even setting yourself up as the self-appointed marshal to ensure that everyone lives by God's standards according to your interpretation of them. The secret that we want and need is giving up ourselves. Taking up our cross daily, as Jesus says, and following him. Denying of self and following Christ. Letting go of the life that we have and embracing new life in Christ, realizing that He is better. That Jesus is better. That Jesus is better. And so my question for you this morning as the worship team is going to come is this. And I really want you to think about this, okay? So wake your neighbor up. Because I want them to hear this question. Okay? What, what do you have hold of in your life? What do you have hold of in your life right now that you need to let go of in order to pursue Jesus with everything? What comfort... What comfort are you hanging on to? What relationship is standing in the way? What, what, what truth, quote unquote, do you feel like you are so adamantly right about that you feel like you have to stand on that is distracting you from hearing and receiving the goodness of God from the people of God? Blows me away how childish we are sometimes. Taking minor things and making them so major in the house of God. Are you following Jesus or not? That's what matters. Are you giving into idols over Jesus or not? Because that's what matters. And so many of so, no, so many. Some of us are holding on to truth as an idol. And is standing in the way of what God's trying to do in your life. Love people. And pray that God does a work in their heart that you're not able to. You're not able to. That's what Nehemiah had to do. It took him 12 years to earn the right to be heard. It took him 12 years to be able to stand in the way that he stood. No one in this church has been here 12 years because we're not 12 years old. Oh, well, pastor, I was a part of that. Okay. But it's a new day. God's doing a new thing. Pastor, why are you so fired up? Because I want to see us respond out of the move of God. And not our opinions and feelings.
And so what are, what are you holding on to that is standing in the way of that for you? Financial security? A job? What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? Fear? Anger? What are you holding on to? We're going to sing a song that I think I feel like I say this every week. It's one of my favorites. I looked at it on Friday. And ever since Friday, I couldn't wait till this moment when I would stop talking and we would sing this song. Because this song is all about the greatness of God. He's the great I am. And as you sing it this morning, I want you to know and I want you to sing it as if He is greater than the thing you're holding on to. Because He is. And as we sing it, pray that God will give you the strength to let go. That God would give you the strength to let go. To run in the freedom that He's created you for. To run in the freedom that He sent His Son to die for for you. And you may be sitting here this morning and you may say, you know what, Travis? I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But I need one. When I get done praying in a few minutes, and I'll remind you, I'm going to sprint out to the lobby. And if that's you today, and you would say, man, Travis, I need to know Jesus. I want you to tell me before you leave. Deal? Father, today, I pray that you set us free from the chains and the stuff that just keeps us bound. Because God, you created us for so much more than we're living for. And so call us to you. Knock on the doors of our heart and show us, hey, you're holding on to this. And you need to let it go. You invite us, come to me all who are weary, and I'll give you a rest. And so today, may we not walk out of this place until we can sit and say we're resting in the goodness and greatness of our God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.